I was wondering, have you ever had a really uh, bad week? Yeah. Have you, have you had a bad day? <laughs> right? Um, or, or have you had a bad month or a bad year? Or maybe you're here and you're like, I'm in the middle of a bad life. <laughs> I, I hope that's the case. I'm not hoping you have a bad life. I'm hoping some of you are here and your life isn't perfect, right? Um, I have these special shoes that I wear when things get really nasty. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that is on there, actually. That was a bad day. <laughs> That's what that was. Well, sometimes we, we, have, we have bad days or bad weeks or bad months or bad years, and some of us believe we have a bad life. I don't know if you ever feel that way. I feel that way. Can I just say, I had a bad day recently. Kind of had a bad week, a couple weeks. Working on a bad month, you know, if I can get there. What, what does that mean in our life that we're having bad things happen? Well, today we're going to hear from two guys having a very bad life. And we're going to listen to Jesus and what he has to say about that, listen now, from the cross. So I'm going to invite you to turn your attention to the screen, and we're going to listen to our verse today. I'll read it, I guess. Uh, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a time again to remember the things that your son and our Savior said to us from the cross. I pray, Father, this morning that whatever is going on in our hearts and our minds, that we could be attentive and, and listening to you, and that you'd be our teacher, Father. We, we have no wisdom of our own, and we say that um, not with joy, but with gladness in our hearts because we know you have wisdom for us. And your word says that if we ask you for wisdom, you, are sure, you will grant it. You're a good father. And so, Father, today we ask for your wisdom. We ask for discernment that we might know truth. We ask for our minds to be open that we might understand it in our hearts that we might believe it in our lives that we might be changed because of you. May you be glorified as we expound your word. Be our teacher. Be our teacher today, Father, that we might learn from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to turn to that very verse of Scripture, Luke chapter 22, verses 32 through 34. I titled this section, Having a Bad Life, right? Luke 32, Luke 23, 32 through 40, 34. Oh, I'm sorry, through 43. I knew I was doing that backwards. This is what the word says. 
if I can find it. Hang on one second. I'm on the completely wrong, my numbers. There we go. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. Then they came to the place called the Skull, where they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since we are under, you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for what we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied to him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. This passage of scripture is famous. As a matter of fact, perhaps more famous, more famous than this passage is the imagery of this passage. Do you know what the imagery is? They had included it in the video. Did you notice what it was? The three crosses. There's many times you can be driving around the United States of America and you'll see three crosses on a far hill. I mean, sometimes we see one cross, right? But many times we see three. Those three crosses are an illustration of this very passage of Scripture. The word says here that two other men, in verse 32, both criminals were let out with him to be executed. You know, a few weeks ago I asked you to think about Simon's view. Simon, who was asked to carry the cross of Christ, right, from the crowd. He was just there to see the spectacle, and the soldiers grabbed him and said, hey, you take the cross. And what he must have been thinking, remember I said that? He must have been thinking, like, why am I carrying this cross? It's not mine. What, what if they kill me instead of Jesus? Well, guess what? Today we have two guys who are there with Jesus who have no doubt What's going on? See, they aren't Simon, hoping the cross isn't theirs. They are criminals, and the cross is theirs. This idea that they're carrying their own cross, that they're, they're bearing it, and I don't know historically and theologically if Jesus was alone carrying a cross or if we all had to carry a cross. I don't know how that worked. But they knew they were going to be executed. As a matter of fact, in verse 32, it says this, the other two men, two other men or two other men, both criminals were let out with him, Jesus, to be executed. The, the word let out makes it sound nice, like, hey, you want to come with me? Hey, hey, come on, guys, come on, come on, come on, keep up. No. The word let out means they were driven out, like you would drive someone with a whip, like you would force them out, you would push them out, you would throw them out. They weren't necessarily at all going by choice. They were being compelled to go with Jesus. They were being forced to go with him, and why? To be executed, let out to be executed with Jesus. Two other men, both being criminals. The, the, idea, the um, Greek here is workers of malignancy or foulness or stankness, like grossness. They, they had manifest some rottenness in their lives. These criminals were criminals for sure. As a matter of fact, the, the hardest word the Bible uses for the criminal is they committed evil. 
that's about as bad as it can get, that they had committed evil, and the evil was leading to their execution. Well, verse 33, then it says this. We're going to come back to those two guys in a minute. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Okay? So a few things. I found this interesting when I was preparing today, that the place of the skull, I'm like, I know there are people who look for it, you know, like a hill, it's like a human skull, right? But it literally is where we get our word, medical word cranium, the place called the head, the place that was a high place that could be seen. I mean, we know this, right? It was a spectacle crucifixion. They, they wanted to make an example of these criminals. They, they wanted to show the world what happens when you don't behave It's where we get our word head or our cranium from. And then we have these four words again. There they crucified him. There they crucified him. Who? Jesus. Who? They did. We did. Almost in passing. I just want to say it one more time. The series is almost over. The, the, in the Gospels, the crucifixion of Christ is almost treated like a, 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 it just happened. It was over before you knew it. It wasn't particularly um, made a spectacle. Some of you may have seen um, the movie The Passion of the Christ. It was two and a half hours of just exp- expounding upon what the scriptures mean when it says they crucified him. Because it's just these passive words, safe words. It's, it's, not, it's not a bloody mess. It's, it's, it's okay. You can speak these words in polite company. As a matter of fact, church, you can wear jewelry. No big deal. It's only the sentence of death. But this time we hear that they crucified him there, that place, Golgotha, along with the criminals. I want us to remember today, as we think about these, this conversation, by the way, that these criminals had also been crucified. You go, well, yeah, of course. But do you think about that? I mean, I think about these guys talking to Jesus like I talk to Jesus, you know, not hanging from a cross, not separated and bound, not mocked by the world, ridiculed, condemned. See, I, I see this as like a casual conversation with Jesus. But it's not casual at all. These men are dying in real time. That day. Have you ever wondered what the the day of your death will look like? These guys knew and probably wish they didn't. They probably wish they didn't know. These two were crucified with Jesus. What, What does that mean for them practically in their lives? It means they had done something deeply offensive, right? And then they had been tried for it. And, and you go, well, as a kangaroo court, maybe they crucified him. No, no, think about that, right? Jesus was brought before uh, Caesar, or, uh, um, Pilate to be judged. <laughs> These men had been judged. They had stood before an authority, and they had heard the evidence against them. And, and they had been, uh, and we're going to find out later, we're going to hear this, right, in the text. But they had been found guilty at trial. Th- these were no innocent people hanging on the cross. They, they were guilty of evil. They had been convicted after that trial. All hope to the side, right, that they might find a way out. There's no way out now. 
And, and then lastly, they've found no mercy. You know that appeal you make? Like, we still hear the news now, right? It's midnight. They're going to put to death. It's on the governor's desk. Will he overturn it or will he let it stand? And these two men that day had found no mercy from the ruler of the earth. Okay? So they were crucified. They crucified Jesus along with the criminals. Now listen to this. One on his right and the other on his left. Now, I don't have any great theological insight about what it means that one's on the right and the other's on the left, but this is what I think about. Jesus is right in the middle. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about, like, if, if I wrote the story of the Bible, I might say, like, that Jesus is on the right because he's the right hand of the Father, or, you know, the, the power, the authority seat. You would make something else. But, but somehow, in this text, in the middle of this broken and sin-filled world, in the middle of Jesus' perfect manifestation of humanity, don't miss it, his perfect manifestation, in the middle of it, he ends up, between two criminals, right in the middle of the mess. Let me tell you, the last place you'd expect to find a savior, a Messiah. But there's Jesus right in the middle of the mess. Whose mess? The mess of the world. Yeah, the mess of sin, yep. The mess of these two men, yeah. The mess of the lives of the people who scream, crucify, crucify, no mercy, no mercy, pound of flesh. And in the middle, there's a Messiah. I wonder, my first question for you today is, do you think Jesus is in the middle of the mess of your life. Like, do you think Jesus is in the middle of your bad day? <laughs> or your bad month? Or your bad year? Or your bad life? <laughs> Wherever you are, do you, do you think that the Messiah is present Well, reading on, the word says, Jesus said this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. We've talked about that in other weeks. As a matter of fact, that was the very first week of the series was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And our own need for forgiveness and to forgive others. We'll move on. 35. The people stood there watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God. That's the Messiah of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. So here's the accusation again. If you're the Messiah, save yourself. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. What's the world saying? Demonstrate your power right now. Show us who you are. As a matter of fact, what strikes me is the first one is 
the testimony of the people who are sneering say this, he saved others, saved yourself. I have a question. Who did Jesus save? I'm not saying who does Jesus save now. We have all this great theology on who Jesus saves, but who had Jesus saved before crucifixion? I went back and looked at the word sozo. I wanted to see in the Gospels where it shows up. I want to share with you Luke chapter 5, verse 20. There's a story about some guys who have a friend, and the friend has been uh, lame for uh, maybe since birth or for a long time, and they, they hear Jesus healing people, and they come, and you remember Chris Robards preached about this. The house is so packed, no one can get in, and these guys, the true friends, don't take no for an answer, and they dig a hole in the roof, and they lower their friend down, and the most profound thing is said, which makes all the religious people mad, is Jesus says, the word says, when he saw their faith, the friend's faith, lowering their friend down, he looked at the man and he said what? Your sins are forgiven. I, I know it offended the religious people because later they said, who can forgive sins but God himself? They called him a blasphemer. That'll come up again later. Your sins are forgiven. He saved that man. I mean, he healed that man, but he saved that man. Or how about this? John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. There was a woman who had been caught red-handed in adultery. Guilty, guilty, guilty. It was not tolerated for the sake of the community. And they had a rule. If you found someone committing adultery because of the instability it created in the community, you would stone them to death. You would pick up rocks, and everyone had to do it, and you would throw rocks until they were dead. Killed them, a death sentence. And you'll recall that Jesus interjected and started asking questions about this death sentence. And at the end, he says this, woman, where are your accusers? And they're gone. And he said, neither do I accuse you. Now go and leave your life of sin. He saved her. You ever think about, like, we love superhero movies, right? Superhero saves them. This is Jesus saving people. He saved her life, but he saved her future. He redeemed her life. He, he gave value where the world said there was no value left. No hope. How about this? The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 21. There's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and that meant she couldn't worship God no matter what she did she couldn't she wasn't allowed to go in the temple and there's a crowd around Jesus and Jesus is doing healings and she thinks to herself if I only touch the edge of his cloak if I just barely grazed it I might be healed and she does and she is the word there for healing is sozo saved we, we think, man, Jesus, if you just heal me. She said, if I could just touch him, I might be saved. And she was. You remember he turned around and said, what, who touched me and all that stuff? And, and then he said, woman, your faith has healed you. But then from that day forward, it says the blood stopped and she could worship God again. She was included again. Why? Because Jesus saved her. John chapter 
5, verse 5. There's a man sitting next to a heel, uh, next to a pool, a healing pool. And, and, and when the water stirs, you get into it, and then, you, and then you can be healed. And he's been waiting there for 38 years, stuck by the healing pool. And Jesus comes and he says, do you want to be healed? And the guy makes it, oh, I've been trying to get in there for a while. And Jesus looks at him and says, get up, take your mat, and walk. And he does. Jesus saves him. Saves him from his stuckness. Saves him from his helplessness. The guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. People say, how are you walking? He goes, some dude told me, so I'm doing it. It's only later that he finds out who Jesus is. And then lastly, Jesus himself, Luke chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. He's addressing someone in a crowd. He says, today salvation has come to this house. And his story is awesome, but I want to focus on what Jesus said. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. To sozo those who were neglected and ignored. To sozo those who think they're too far. That's his mission in life. I ask you, are you, do you think Jesus is in the middle of the mess? He came to get in the middle of the mess. The Son of Man came to seek, to look for, to call out, to find, and to save the lost. Well, that explains the he saved others part. By the way, that's not a totality of the experiences in Scripture. It's replete with Jesus saving people, saving them in different contexts, saving them in different ways. So then the second part of the statement is, he saved others, let him save himself. You did all this good for people, big deal. Do it for yourself. And here's the accusation. If he is truly God's Messiah, that is God's Christ. If he is truly the chosen one. The word here in the Greek is eklektos. eklektos, And it means God's favorite, God's anointed, God's appointed, God's select one. The, the only one. It doesn't mean like one amongst many. It doesn't mean like, you know, we tell our kids we love you all the same. No. <laughs> God's favorite. <laughs> well, if you are Jesus, save yourself. And a notice read above his head, this is the king of the Jews you remember last week I told you about Tetelestai, right? It is finished. And I told you that whenever a criminal got out of prison, they would write Tetelestai across their charges that were held over their cell until it was paid in full, and then they would take that out. And if someone said, hey, why aren't you in jail anymore? They'd be like, hey, I got my papers. Dude, I'm out. <laughs> I paid my price, right? Tetelestai. Well, this over Jesus' head, king of the Jews, I want you to know, is the accusation against him. It is the reason that he was crucified, it's the reason he was brought to the authorities. The charge was, this is the king of the Jews. You remember they protested. Don't say it's king of the Jews. Say he claimed he was king of the Jews. And Pilate said, it, it says what it says. Over Jesus' head, in his cell, 
over Jesus' head on the cross. The charges against Jesus. He's king of the Jews. What's the implication? The charges against Jesus. He claims to be the Messiah. Right? I wonder, do you believe that today? Like, they didn't believe it. They put the charges there and they killed him for it, but they didn't really believe it, that he was king of the Jews. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah, the anointed one, the favorite one of God. What about you? Do you believe Jesus is the chosen one? The Christ, Christos, the Messiah, the anointed, the holy, the true God in the flesh? Because that's the question that the crucifixion asks. That's the question that Easter asks is what about you? Do you believe it to be true? Well, I told you that we would actually hear from two guys who were having a bad life. And this is where we're going to pick it up. Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus, saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. Or save yourself and us is how the Greek reads. Fair enough. And the other criminal rebuked him, saying, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what we are getting for we because we are getting what our deeds our works deserve but this man has done nothing wrong two criminals same situation two criminals have gone through the same you know not probably specific experience but the same general experience they're they're in a bad crowd they're in a bad way they're in the wrong place at the wrong time they've done bad things right and these two criminals have so much in common. I told you already, they've both been crucified with Jesus. All three are on the cross. But in the middle of this, these two criminals who have very similar backgrounds and experiences have completely different outlooks on what's happening. The first criminal, the word says, hurled insults at Jesus, right? We're going to, you know, we're like, he's the baddie, <laughs> you know? Like, even on the cross, he's still the baddie. He just can't get the bad out of this dude. But I don't want to be unfair. I just want to talk about this a minute. When it says he hurled insults at Jesus, it means he was railing at Jesus. He was screaming at Jesus. The word in the Greek is actually blasphemy. He was blaspheming Jesus on the cross. <laughs> he, he didn't mean it. Like, you, you read the words with me, right? It says, one of the criminals said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And you can read that like, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. No, it's like, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. That's actually how it is in the Greek. It's an imperative command. He, he's not asking. He's telling Jesus what Jesus ought to do. What are you doing, man? If you're the Christ, do something now. I'm dying here. He blasphemed Christ on the cross. Think about that. While Jesus, the very, we know now, the very son of God, the very son of man, is giving his life for the sins of the world, this criminal next to him is almost ridiculing him and demanding, dance, Jesus, dance. Do it now. Do it. Blaspheming. He commands Jesus in the imperative sense to save now. 
And lastly, I would say, despite the fact that he's been found guilty, and despite the fact that he's on a cross, he's kind of entitled. That's how he sounds. That's criminal one. Here's criminal two. Well, let's call him Goody. No, let's don't. <laughs> let's call him a criminal. He, he committed crimes. And by the way, I might say this earlier, but the word criminal in the Greek is not a noun, it's an adjective. They aren't criminals, they are criminal, right? But they are people who committed crimes. They're people who committed crimes that were found guilty of the crimes. They're people who committed crimes who were being punished for the crime. So you can't say criminal two is goody. He, he, he's still on the cross. He's still a bad dude. He still did bad things. But what does he do? Well, first thing he does, he rebukes his fellow criminal, right? He says, stop it. Stop doing that. And then he has some revelations, some insights. He, the word says he admonished the fellow criminal about what he's doing. And he says this, don't you fear God. You see, criminal two has an insight, an epiphany you might call it on the, on the cross, that he has bigger problems than the state right now. The bigger problems that criminal two realizes in some way that he has is that he's about to meet his maker. He's about to go into eternity with a no plan. <laughs> he's dying today. The death is assured. He's not getting off the cross. And so from this place, he goes, don't you fear God. Criminal 2 has some sense of God's sovereignty in that moment. Listen, I can't say what these guys were thinking because I've never been in the situation they're in. But he reveals some things about the big picture of his life. Don't you fear God, Theos, right? Then he says this. We're guilty of this. I, I've put it this way in my notes. He confesses the mess. We, we've done these things. We're, we're rightly condemned. We're, we're going to die. And then he points to the innocence of Christ. Why? Why? What had Jesus done demonstrated, shown that this criminal saw that he said, we're the same, he's different. You and I deserve to die, he doesn't. There's something in Jesus that he recognizes in the moment, his innocence. I can't imagine he's known him that long. You could have some big backstory. He knew who Jesus was and hear the stories. Maybe it's not in the scriptures, right? But he knows Jesus is fundamentally different. He goes, he's not like us. He doesn't deserve to be here. We deserve to be here. He shouldn't be being killed. We should be being killed. We are punished justly, verse 41, because we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And by the way, I want to say something about this man. He's referring to him as a human right there. He, he's, he's talking about God, but he's talking about that one. He, this criminal has some insight that this isn't right. This is unjust. This is not the way it's supposed to be with the Jesus guy. And then he looks at Jesus. Check it out. And he says this very personal, direct simple prayer. We call it a prayer. We call it a request, right? 
He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. Who? Who? The criminal. Remember me. Who? The sinner. Remember me. Who? The worker of evil. Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Dying on the cross. Think of it. Jesus, just don't forget me. Remember me. In the scriptures here, it can be interpreted as God's kingdom, as Besaleia. That's what the word means, Besaleia. But it also uh, is um, his power, his kingly power. So he's like, Jesus, remember me in your kingly power. Don't forget me when, you're, when you do what you're going to do. See, this simple prayer, and this is not a demand, by the way, in the Greek, like the others demand, save us, save us right now. It's not like that. He's like, just don't forget me, a sinner. Remember me in paradise. Remember me when you come to your kingdom power. Listen to Jesus' response. Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. This is Jesus' words from the cross today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. A couple things here. He actually says, truly I say to you. The you, I was curious, because I kind of thought, what if the you's plural? <laughs> That'd be good news for the other criminal, <laughs> right? Truly I say to you, y'all. But it's not, it's singular. It's the one who's addressing him. Do you remember whenever Jesus healed people, and then ten, he healed 10 people, and they, he said, then come back and report, and only one came back? Remember that? Like, there's this selectivity about Jesus. There's something about recognizing him when he's saving that matters. And, and in this moment, he says to that one, this one, truly I say to you, now get the imagery, all three crucified, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Shocking words, stunning words. Words that in that moment, how could you know that's true or not? <laughs> Why is Jesus saying these things? You know, this whole series I've been asking the question, who's been hearing Jesus' words? Father, forgive them, they don't know what to do. I'm thirsty, right? All these utterances Jesus had from the cross. But these two have been there the whole time. Fellow criminals crucified with Jesus, listening to his words, and now... These words are spoken over one of the criminals. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Very truly, I say that to you. To you. I want you to see three realities of Jesus' words from the cross. Three realities for that criminal on the cross that day. The first is the immediacy of the promise of Jesus' salvation. It's not like, Someday, man, hopefully, maybe. No, he says today. The Greek means now. <laughs> now, you're going to be with me in paradise. 
I wonder, do you believe that Jesus can change your whole situation right now? Do you believe that Jesus can change your bad day in the middle of your bad day? Do you believe that he can say words in those moments that will change you? Whether you've sinned or you're about to sin, do you think that that's true of Jesus? The immediacy today. The second thing I want you to see is that he says that there's nothing that he's going to do. There's no requirement of the criminal. I told you these two criminals are the same. They're both crucified, nailed to a cross. They're not coming down, right? This isn't, you're going to get out of the punishment. You're going to escape this. You're not going to escape this at all. There's nothing that they can do to fulfill what Jesus has promised. There's no requirement upon that criminal. He's not like this, like, today you're building a paradise. Now, be a better person. No. One of the um, um, sacraments we celebrate at Family Bible Church, we have two, right? Uh, communion, remember Jesus with communion, and second, baptism, right? And, and I've had people be all twisted about baptism. Oh, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. And how do you get baptized and saved and all that stuff? And there's a huge doctrinal history of this stuff, right? But this is one of those examples, and people don't like it. Here's one of those examples where Jesus goes, you're in. People go, oh, maybe they baptized him after. You know, they did something. What? What? He says, you're in. You're in. You're in. Does that mean you shouldn't get baptized? No. No. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, to make a proclamation to the world. Maybe you consider that in your own spiritual journey. Baptism as a sign that you're believing in Jesus Christ. But it lacked any requirement from the criminal. He wasn't going to turn over a new leaf. He wasn't going to have a better day. He wasn't going to prove anything to Jesus. So immediacy, lack of requirement. And the third thing is this, destination. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You are going to go to a place where God is. And, and uh, two things here. One is that he says, you're going to go with me. We're going together. In this moment, you're going to be with me in paradise when this day is over. The second thing is that the word paradise is actually the word for garden. It means like a, a kind of a sheltered place, a safe place. You're going to go somewhere, but where God is, right? And the most explicit reference in the Bible to a place where God is is actually Eden, the garden. In, in medieval, medieval times, there was this kind of idea that there was this kind of in-between place, you know, between heaven and hell, this place that you could hang out until you finally get to heaven or whatever, right? That exists still in our culture today, that kind of theology a little bit. But there's this idea that, well, that's why he said garden, because it's like this safe place with God. But it's a place with Jesus. And, and the question I have to ask is, do you think that means that Jesus is kind of hanging out there and in between? Or is he in paradise? We sang a song today. I'll fly away, oh glory. I kind of I kind of like that song. I kind of love that song. I like that. Right? But I kind of like that, like, we're out of here. Woo! You know, <laughs> to hell with the world kind of idea, right? Like. Go on, baby. You ever see the geese are trying right now? They're like, I'm going, baby. I ain't staying here. I'll fly away. Oh, glory. That's what the words say, right? But Jesus is in. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. You know what I thought about today? That criminal, 
is worshiping Jesus with us today. <laughs> We're going to sing that song forever, right? Uh, glory by and by, I'll fly away. We're going to sing praises of God forever, right? That criminal from that day on the cross began worshiping Jesus in his kingdom, began to celebrate Jesus in his kingdom, had communal worship with Jesus in his kingdom. So I wonder, where will you go when you die? And another question, why? Because you're not a baddie? You're a goodie? You've done enough good things? Or is it unmerited favor of God? The unmerited favor of God this criminal's in paradise and Eden with Jesus right now. So, listen, maybe you've had a bad day. Maybe you haven't. Hey, praise God. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you haven't. Praise God, right? We don't want bad days. But when those days come, know this, that we have a Savior who's in the middle of the mess. So today, maybe you've been bleeding that thing. You're like, man, I think, you know, I've been pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. I don't make mistakes. I do whatever. I mean, yeah, love to Nietzsche. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but instead, a simple, personal prayer to Jesus. Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. A sinner like me, don't forget. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the word and for the complex way that you teach us your love for us, and the reality of our sinfulness. And some days, Father, the, that presence of sin is all too recognizable to us. Father, for those, all of us, who are struggling, I pray that you would be in the middle of the mess, that we would, in the moments, recognize that you are there at work, that you are redeeming us from that sin. And then, Father, for uh, the, the, the things that seem to endure, the weeks, the months, the years that seem to drag on, Father, that you were in the middle of those things, that we could have confidence in you. And then lastly, Lord, that yeah, your gospel is so um, against the idea that anyone is beyond your help or hope, that, Father, if there are folks who are, who are here this morning or who are listening and think, well, just my life, though, my life is a mess, that you would teach them through the power of your spirit that you are at work in it, that you are transforming us because you love us, you died for us, and that this work is done in your blood and in your name, and we are recipients of your grace, that you give us your unmerited favor, Father, that we might know you and worship you forever. Lord, we thank you, and we do thank you that, well, for most of us, this isn't the last day, but the day we get to turn and continue to follow you and to uh, repent and to believe the good news. May you be glorified as your people worship you. Together we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.